Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Joshua, chapter 24, verses 29 through 33. After these things, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Sarah in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua. And the elders who outlived him, and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. And Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the the tract of land that Jacob had bought for a hundred pieces of silver from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. This became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants. And Eleazar, son of Aaron, died and was buried at Gibeah, which had been allotted to his son Phinehas in the hill country of Ephraim. This is the word of the Lord. So if you've ever heard a fairy tale, you know that fairy tales, when they follow their classic format, generally begin with the words, once upon a time, right? Maybe it's once upon a time in a kingdom far away, or... Once upon a time, there was a beautiful princess. That's, that's the classic start to a fairy tale. Um, the classic fairy tale ends with a different phrase. The classic fairy tale will end with this, these words. And they lived, you know, and they lived happily ever after. Maybe it says the knight slew the dragon and rescued the villagers, and they lived happily ever after. Or the princess kissed the frog, and he turned into a prince, and they lived happily ever after. So in general, fairy tales have happy endings. Well, since January, we've been studying the Old Testament book of Joshua together. Joshua is the account of how God took his people, the people of Israel, Basically, from they were in a, a refugee camp in the desert, and God took them from that setting and brought them into the promised land, the land he had promised to give to them through their forefathers. And today, we're coming to the final verses in the book of Joshua, very end. And the question we might ask is, does the book of Joshua have a fairy tale ending? Does, does this book have a happy ending? And the answer is... Yes and no, all right? It's both. And you say, what, what in the world do you mean by this? Well, um, in, in, one sense, in one sense, this book does not have a happy ending for two reasons, all right? The people do not live happily ever after. First, because they do not live happily. Uh, if you look at verse 31, verse 31 says, Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua. Now, let me ask you, what does that phrase imply? Let's, let's say you hear a report about someone. It's a report about me. And you hear, David stayed on his diet for two weeks. Or David controlled his temper for three months. Well, listen, by qualifying your description of my behavior with a time limit, what you're implying is that after a certain time, 
my behavior changed, right? My, my good behavior came to an end. After two weeks, I strayed from my diet. After three months, I lost my temper. So when it says Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua, that what's, what that's implying is as soon as Joshua passed away, the people stopped serving the Lord. And if you read on into the next book of the Bible, the book of Judges, you'll find that that's what happened. Judges chapter 2 says, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them. So, listen, that's not a happy ending, right? These were... These were people who had been rescued from slavery. They had been led through the wilderness. They had been brought into the promised land. And now, well, now it's like they're slaves all over again. Not slaves to, to Egypt. No, they, they're slaves to their own brokenness, their own inability to, to, to um, live consistently in line with their own desire to serve the Lord. If, if you were here last week, you may recall um, Pastor Jeffrey pre preaching on the very final speech that Joshua made to the, to the people of Israel. He challenged them to, to live for God. And they, in, remember, they enthusiastically pledged that they would honor Yahweh, that they would serve the Lord. They said in verse 18, we will serve the Lord because he is our God. And I think they were sincere when they said that. I mean, there's every indication in, in the text that that was, that was the true desire of their heart. They really wanted to live noble lives of faith and integrity that would bring glory to God. And, and then they found that they couldn't do it. They just found themselves enslaved to their own weakness, their own frailty. They kept drifting back to these idols. And we say, shame on them. No, we don't say that because we can relate. Can you relate to this? I wonder if you've ever just felt the weariness of your own struggle to live the kind of life you wish you could live. Maybe, um, maybe you really, really want to be a man or woman of strong faith, but you, you just keep giving in to worry and fear. It takes over all over again. Or you really desire to forgive someone who's hurt you. Forgive them from the heart, but, but the anger, the resentment, it just keeps coming back. You wake up and there it is, right? Or you, you really desire to be generous with your money, but you just find it so hard to give consistently. You know, that, that kind of struggle, is, it, it's pretty common for us. In fact, the Apostle Paul, I think that's what he was describing in Romans chapter 7. Listen to what Paul said about himself. He said, I don't understand what I do, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do. This I keep on doing. So I find this law at work. Although, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. I, I, wonder, I wonder if the people of Israel, if any of them felt like saying that. What a wretched man. What a wretched woman. What a wretched nation. We really want to live for this God who redeemed us from Egypt. And we just, we just find ourselves, we can't. 
So that's not a very happy ending. These are people brought out of slavery into the promised land, and they're still slaves. Slaves to their own weakness, their own, their own sin. So um, the people do not live happily ever after, first, because they don't live happily, right? And then secondly, because they don't live ever after. They all die. I mean, just keep, Chris was reading for us, all these people keep dying in this, this passage. Verse 29 and 30, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at timnath Sirah, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. Verse 33, and Eleazar, son of Aaron, died and was buried at Gibeah, which had been allotted to his son Phinehas in the hill country of Ephraim. They all, they all died. There's a very famous novel by the author uh, V.S. Naipaul called A House for Mr. Biswas. And Mr. Biswas, in, in this novel, he is a very poor man in the island of, of Trinidad. Um, he's born to a poor family. He's orphaned at a very young age. And as an orphan, he, he really doesn't have a home. He's just kind of farmed out from one relative to another. And so there grows within his heart this, this longing, this desire. It becomes the chief desire of his life someday to own his own home so he can stay there and he's not always being bounced around. And so the story is this like long saga of poor old Mr. Biswas, everything he does. He's, he works his fingers to the bones. He struggles against poverty, struggles against injustice. Finally, after years of hardship, this man in the, in the novel, he scrapes together just enough money for a meager down payment he convinces a, a bank to give him a mortgage. It's kind of like he's 60 years old. He gets a 30-year mortgage type of deal, you know, to buy this really, really run-down house. He moves in. It's his home. He moves into the house, settles down. And then a couple of months later, he dies. That's kind of like what happens in, in the book of Joshua. What happened to Joshua? What happened to Eliezer? What happened to the others of that generation? After, listen, after 400 years of slavery and then 40 years wandering in the wilderness and then countless battles against these fierce enemies, they finally received their inheritance in the promised land. And then they die. You know, the, the, uh, the land they dreamed of farming becomes their grave. Uh, Shakespeare's Macbeth said, life is but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It's a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, but signifying nothing. I wonder, is that, is that true? Is that all there is to life? Life is just this ongoing struggle with our own folly, our own weakness. We can never really get away from these lousy idols. We can never live the kind of life we want to. And then one day we die. Is that, is that it? Listen, you, you could get that impression from this end of Joshua, couldn't you? That's, that's kind of what happens to these people. They struggle and struggle with idolatry, and then they die. So, in one sense, this book does not have a happy ending. But, in another sense, a far deeper sense, it does. It does end happily. Um, verse 
32, you may have noticed, is kind of a weird verse. In the midst of this, these final verses about the end of Joshua's life and the end of Eliezer's life, you have this verse about the rotting corpse of some guy named Joseph and where it gets buried. It's just kind of a weird thing. It says in verse 32, and Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the tract of land that Jacob bought for a hundred pieces of silver from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. This became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants. And you're saying, that's why I don't like the Bible. It's got all this stuff you don't understand. What, listen, what in the world is this talking about? Well, Joseph was one of the patriarchs of the nation of Israel. He had lived roughly 500 years before the time of Joshua. And uh, Joseph, unlike the other Israelites, the others were slaves in Egypt, Joseph had actually been a high-ranking official in the land of Egypt. And you read in Genesis chapter 50 that right before Joseph died, he's on his deathbed, he called in some of the Israelites, and he made them swear to him that uh, someday when God finally brought them out of Egypt, they would take his bones with them, take them to the land of Canaan, and bury them in the promised land. And that seems like a strange, you know, deathbed request, right? Well, it seemed even stranger to them for this reason. As as a high-ranking official in Egypt, Joseph presumably was entitled to be buried in Pharaoh's tomb. You know, the pyramids. You've seen the pyramids. Maybe some of you have actually gone there and seen them, or you've seen pictures. They're, they're still there to this day. Just imagine that. They were built how many thousands of years ago? And so in, in ancient Egypt, not many people got to be buried in the pyramids. But if you had that right, this was a dream come true. Because to be buried in Pharaoh's tomb in ancient Egypt, that was your hope for eternal life. If you were buried in this great monument, you were surrounded by all this opulence and wealth, that meant your life wasn't a waste of time. That meant your life did have significance, and that meant that in the afterlife, you would flourish and live forever. And so in ancient Egypt, um, to have this opportunity that Joseph had to be buried in the pyramid, that was the path to immortality. Imagine how surprised the people were when Joseph called them into his deathbed and said, I don't want that. I don't want the pyramid. He he basically said, listen, um, by asking them to take his bones to Canaan, he said, listen, I I am not placing my hope for a life of significance or a life that lasts forever. I am not placing my hope in the wealth and technology of this world, no. He said, I am placing my hope for eternal life in Yahweh, in the covenant of the Lord. So someday when you leave this place, you take my bones, you take them to Canaan, you bury me in the promised land. That's what he was saying. Now, in in the New Testament, I don't know if you've ever read Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 is called called the faith chapter or the hall of fame of faith. It's a very interesting chapter. It's just just one after another. It's, It's highlighting the lives of men and women in the Old Testament who had been valiant people of faith. And it kind of explains their exploits, what they did that demonstrated their faith in God. Joseph is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. And that shouldn't surprise us because Joseph, uh, 13 chapters of the, of the book of Genesis are devoted just to the life of Joseph. There's more in, the, in Genesis about Joseph than there is about Abraham or Isaac or Jacob. He's basically, there's more about him than anyone else in the book of Genesis. And, and yet, after this long life of serving God, in Hebrews 11, 
one and only one thing is highlighted about him that showed his faith in God, and that it was this strange deathbed request where he said, take my bones to Canaan. So Hebrews eleven twenty two says, By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave con- instructions concerning the burial of his bones. The author of Hebrews says that was his one shining moment right there. Why? Well, it seems to me that when Joseph requested to be buried in Canaan rather than in the pyramid, in a very, very personal way, he was just exposed expressing his trust. He probably didn't know how this could happen, but he was just trusting that somehow, some way, God would do something so that his life would be more than just an endless, futile struggle that ends in death. That he's just trusting that somehow God, his God, would, would, would free us from our slavery to sin and free us from the tyranny of the grave. He probably didn't know how. See, Joseph, uh, Joseph, he lived before any of the Bible was ever written. He ne- never heard a Christmas story. He, did, he didn't know about the Son of God being born into this world. He never sang about the cross. He didn't know about Calvary. He never celebrated Easter. He didn't know anything at all about the empty tomb. He didn't know, he didn't know any of this. But listen, he knew his God, and he knew that his God was good. He knew that his God was faithful. So he just kind of, by this strange request on his deathbed, he was just expressing, I have faith that, I have faith in my God that he is not going to let my life be nothing more than an endless struggle that ends in in the dirt. God will do something. But I don't know what it is. Now, we do know what God did, don't we? But we, we know what God did. Uh, see, what was just a kind of a vague future hope for Joseph, you know what, guys? It is a completed reality for us. Here, here, here's what we know. 1,800 years after the death of Joseph, 1,300 years after the death of Joshua, listen, you know what happened? God himself came to the land of Canaan in the person of his son, God himself came to the promised land. He lived there. He died there. And he was buried there. Just, just like, listen, just like Joseph and just like Joshua, Jesus was buried in the land of Canaan, right? But he's not buried there anymore. Amen? Three days later, Jesus, he just walked out of that tomb. He just walked right out. And that's, listen, guys, that's the happy ending that's foreshadowed in this ending of of, uh, the book of Joshua. That's the happy ending foreshadowed in this strange deathbed request of this man, Joseph. Um, Joseph was trusting in the goodness and salvation of, of, of God, and Jesus honored that trust by dying and rising again. You know, um, we say Jesus in English right? Jesus in Spanish. Jesus is the English form of the Greek form of the Hebrew name, Yeshua, Joshua. Jesus' name was Joshua. It kind of just ruined everything. I always thought of him as Jesus. Now he's Joshua. I don't think it's an accident that when God's son came into the world, the angel said, you name him Yeshua. You name him Joshua. Why? 
Because our Yeshua, our Joshua, Jesus, he did for us what the first Joshua could not do for his people. And, the, and Joshua in the Old Testament, what a great leader he was. He brought the people into the land. He, he, he was able to bring the people from Egypt in, into the promised land. But he, you know what? He couldn't get Egypt out of their hearts. That was still there. And he, he brought them into the promised land, but he couldn't ensure that they would live there forever. He himself couldn't even stay alive forever. But our Yeshua is different than that. Our Yeshua conquered sin. He conquered death. When he died and rose again, he won the victory forever. And so in him, listen, just like, just like Joseph trusting in the goodness of God, when you, tr listen to me, when you trust in the goodness of God made known to you in Jesus Christ, you are free. His death sets you free from slavery to sin. You still have to struggle with sin, right? But it's not your boss anymore. It doesn't own you anymore. Amen? Somebody should be happy about that. And you will die someday. So will I. But that's not the end for us, guys. Why? Because, listen, you know, they took Joseph and they, put, they buried him in the ground in Canaan. They took Joshua. They buried him in the ground in, in Canaan. They took Jesus. They buried him in the ground in Canaan. But Jesus' tomb is empty now. And when he comes back again, you know what other tombs are going to be empty? Joseph's tomb is going to be empty. Joshua's tomb is going to be empty. And brother, sister, your tomb is going to be empty. Because when he comes back again, when our Yeshua comes back into this world, we, guys, we're going to see victory like we've never seen before. Victory that's already been won on the cross. So Romans chapter 6 describes the reality of this victory in our lives. Here's what it says. It says, we know that we know that our old self. Any of you know what your old self is? You ever just get tired of your old self? Always doing stupid things, always letting you down. It says, we know that our old self was crucified with Christ so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who's died listen, has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Christ. So, that's the happy ending to Joshua. People back then, they thought, oh, this is a horrible ending. We, we're not going to live happily ever after. We just struggle with sin our whole lives and then we die. But we know that's not the way it ends for us because our Yeshua has come. Through his death, he conquered death and sin. Through his resurrection, he brings us life. And if you've trusted in him, all of, listen, all of these victories are yours. Amen? Let's pray together. Our Father, every one of us has moments in life where it just seems so dark and we feel so weary and it feels to us that our Life will not end happily. And we pray that against that feeling, your gospel would come and proclaim to us unchanging truth. That we know that because of Jesus Christ, our life is not futile. It is not in vain. We are free from sin. We are forgiven. We are yours. And we know that because Jesus rose, death will not get the last laugh in our lives we will also be raised and we will serve you forever. So I pray for any who, who today are in one of those dark moments, feeling very discouraged, that you would remind them of this truth, 
and you would speak hope into their hearts. And I pray for any who've never yet trusted in Jesus this way, that maybe these are new concepts for them, but you would begin to open their heart and their mind to understand and see the fullness of life that you are offering them in Christ and grant them grace to receive it and trust. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.